appears we share the same passions. Three, anyway. I can't do motoring and uh, baccarat. Wheat, au la banque. Seven, madame wins. I hope the third is where your real talent lies. One rises to meet a challenge. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. And today marks our seventh episode, 007. Double O? Double O Chevron. That was uh, Sean Connery with a sore throat impersonation. Yeah, so we are licensing that to kill... A Bond, and what more appropriate than a mid-90s Bond in Goldeneye. The reboot. More of a reboot than I realized. Mm. 1995, Goldeneye. November 1995. Budget wow. of 60 mil. Gross of 355 mil. This was a big deal. This was a big comeback. The 17th James Bond film at this point. What's it? The odds were stacked against it. This was, everyone was thinking, it's over. Bond is done. It's been six years. Mm -hmm. The Soviet Union has collapsed. The wall is down. We're not in, we're in a post-Bond world. Mm -hmm. How could a Bond movie work? Yeah, six, six years is a long time. And coming off the back of a couple of Bonds that probably weren't peak Bonds. Dalton Bonds were not great. Not great. Living Daylights. Was it Living Daylights? But before we get into all that detail... This is a familiar year, Greg. How do you feel about 1995? This is the third time we've done 1995. I think you may have a few little... Toy Story. Ding, 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 ding. So top 10, 1995. What was that, Greg? Toy Story and Pocahontas are both in there. Toy Story is number one. Pocahontas is number four. Braveheart. Braveheart. That year, but it's not in there. Not in the top 10. Oh, one best picture. Yeah. Oh, I should be better at this. Uh, die Hard. There's a Die Hard in there with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. Apollo 13. Yep. Heat. Not in the top 10, but yes, it was that year. Uh, Jumanji. Mm -hmm. Billy Madison's not in the top 10, is it? Certainly not. No. Okay. Just, just checking. There's one you're missing that's pretty key, considering our podcast and where we started. Showdown in Little Tokyo. That <laughs> first episode. What was our first episode? Batman Forever. I whispered into the microphone. So they'll be Batman Forever. Yeah, come on, man. All right, you, you give up on the rest. You did pretty well. We should reverse this one day, shouldn't we? No, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ace Ventura. Yeah, Jumanji. You said Casper Seven. Died with Avengers. That's the top ten. Other notables: Waterworld, which has got to be on the list, doesn't it? We should do that maybe soon. Get Shorty, Braveheart, Mortal Kombat, Heat, as you said, Bad Boys, Species, 12 Monkeys, Clueless. What do you think of 1995, Greg? 1995 could be one of the greatest years of the era. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially. All right. So there's quite Talk a few Bond films. This is a unique scenario here. I, th I guess it's Talk the longest running franchise. This is the OG franchise, isn't it? Bond. Correct. This was the 17th movie. So there's quite a few to compare it to. Rather than going through all... 25 or whatever there are now 
I thought, why don't we look at the bottom five and the top five in terms of Rotten Tomatoes scores? Are you a Bond guy, first of all? I'm Sorry, a, I am. You are okay. So this could be juicy. Yeah. What I, do you well, think? What do you? What do you? What's your favorite Bond movie? Uh, I I'm, I don't know that I have one. Right. Probably, Give me. Throw a few out there. Okay. Um, I like For Your Eyes Only. Uh, Octopussy. Interesting. My guiltiest pleasure is I like Never Say Never Again, which actually. I think it was it's not actually a Bond movie, or it's not a. There's some nuance to it, right? Well, that's funny because there's also a Casino Royale one that was with Peter Sellers. That's right. That was like a parody one. Mm-hmm. That's in the bottom five. So it was a piss take. It's kind of Austin Powers mm-hmm. before Austin yep. Powers, I guess. That's I haven't seen. Yeah, it. that is exactly what it was. Um, a View to Kill. Ah. And Casino Royale was the lowest, twenty six percent. A View to A View know, to Kill at thirty seven. You know who's in A View to Kill? Who? Christopher Walken. Um, the his henchwoman. Oh, of course, Grace Jones. Grace Jones and a little cameo by none other than Dolph. Dolph. <laughs> his voice is so deep. Dolph. I'm not even gonna pretend. Octopussy, forty-two percent. The world is not enough, fifty-one yeah. percent. Die another day, and tomorrow never dies. So this is the thing. The legacy of Pierce Brosnan's Bond is not great. Basically, they're the other three Brosnan Bonds, and they're uh-huh. in the bottom five. Like they're shit. But this one is. Doesn't quite make the top five, but it's up there. This, this had a Rotten Tomatoes score of, I think, 80 something. Damn oh, it, I didn't it. It was like down. 78. Yeah, something like that. Healthy, healthy, right? It's healthy. But the top five, Goldfinger had 97%. From Russia with Love, 96%. Dr. No, 96%. Also, Casino Royale, the new one, 94%. And Skyfall, 92%. But what's also funny about that? What about Spectre? That's down. That's close to the bottom. Oh, it's in the middle, mid-range. I think oh, it's like 60 or something. I sometimes get that a bit confused with Skyfall, I think. Yeah, that's the one after, It's the one immediately after. And everyone loved Skyfall and then hated Spectre. I don't think I hated Spectre. I'm not close enough to really... I think I was watching it yesterday. Yeah, I think it's fine. But I think it's with the, it's one of those ones with the fanboys where it messed with the lore or something. Where it's like, yeah. oh, he would never do that. Or like, I don't, I don't know. I don't Bond know. never wears... He doesn't wear grey on a Sunday. With grey chinos. He only wears them with... <laughs> Autumnal colors. So, to set the context, this is a big deal. I watched this on Laserdisc. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, I remember distinctly because my dad worked in the consumer electronics biz with the ah. Philips Electronics. Ah, and good people. For some reason, he had this. He had a Laserdisc because one of the only people to ever have a Laserdisc, the very short-lived technology in Australia. Um, and on that, we had two films. One was Goldeneye, one was Cutthroat Island. And halfway through the movie, you had to open it and flip it and put it back in. Is that what happened? It's the size of a record. It's yeah, a CD yeah, the size of I a remember. record. It didn't have any of like the interactive features of a DVD. I think I don't think you just put it in and play, like a VCD yeah. or whatever. Carol had one apparently growing up. Right. Yeah, I in Singapore, because my dad came from Singapore at that point. Yeah, yeah so they were, th- they were a thing there. I remember yeah, going to, to a, a, a laser disc shop with all the, like a DVD store. Like it would be like that. So I remember that. I remember re-watching the shit out of it because of that reason. Because obviously in those days, this was pre-JB Hi-Fi DVD explosion. So if you had a movie in your house... Yeah, yeah. pre-bargain bin. Yeah, back to back. Then obviously there was a classic Nintendo 64 game uh-huh. um, built based off of this picture. Absolutely. Did you have that? Yeah, I think at uni someone had... I didn't play it enough. It's kind of like me and Mario Kart. Right. Like I'm not terrible at it, but the fact is that everyone else has put in a lot more hours. So I'm always typically, I'm typically 
the worst or the second worst. There's always someone. Ah, uh, good. You'd be. I'd like to have you around because I'm. I'm. I'd lose days just playing that with mates. Yeah. And this was before online multiplayer, so you're sitting in the lounge room together and you can see each other's screen and everything. And when was... you actually interacted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With even you, actual even friends. the gaming was done face to face. That game was huge. But obviously that's that's inextricably linked to this movie, right? I think for a lot of us our age, that movie and that game, that game's probably got a lot more cultural significance because of that game. It's You can only separate them in that it looks nothing like the movie. Yeah. It looks like the movie if you put a lot of Vaseline on the lens. <laughs> <laughs> and called it Doom. If the movie was Doom. Hey, that's disrespectful. Is it? Nah, it was a pioneering game, man. I'm going to get into that. I'm going to do a little... little Little gaming Maybe. corner, but on it that didn't one. have that much to do with the movie, did it? It was pretty close, especially for the time. Ah, I never the... played multiplayer, so it was always just the four single dudes. player followed the plot of the movie. Ah, okay, but we're gonna do actually, you're fine. Actually, it's more true to the original vision of Ian Fleming actually... and Mr. Broccoli. That's a good little segue. The first Bond film not to be based on an Ian Fleming novel, really? Yeah, but the name came from. It was a tribute to Ian Fleming. So he he was in British intelligence or whatever, or the Navy or something, and he worked in Operation Goldeneye. Ooh. And then his estate where he wrote all his books was also called Goldeneye. So this was a that was a homage to him. But yeah, again, another significant step away from the franchise that came before. So there's, I mean, I'm going to go deeper into that a bit later. But what about your personal context, Greg? Where were you at? So. I specifically remember being at the movies for this one. Right. Macquarie Cinema. Yeah. Greater Union. Greater Union upstairs That's what I want. I very likely would have purchased some cookies from... Did you play Virtual Cop? Probably. Yeah. I know what a choc chip cookie from Fuddruckers tastes like though. Oh, Fuddruckers. They were kind of like Subway cookies before Subway. I never went to Fuddruckers. My sister worked there. So I used to get free... At Macquarie? Yeah. Ah, that was my hood. That, you know I, know. I live down the street. I know. I lived on Herring Road. Yeah. Man, I was there a lot. We may have crossed paths. Isn't that cute? That's cute. We were a couple of lads crossing in the night. So, yeah, we would have purchased some cookies. Now, I, I've got some specific memories on this one. I know I was at an early screening. Like, it might have been the opening weekend or whatever. Right. Because it was packed. I remember it being a packed cinema. Right. And as you said, it was a big deal when this movie came out because yeah. there hadn't been a Bond for so long. Yeah. Everyone was excited. And I, I've got this really vivid memory of the cinema and being in there. And, you know, Bond always does his pre-credit scene. Oh, uh, yeah. And the pre-credit scene is pretty awesome. Best part of the movie. I'm just yeah, going to say yeah, it. It, yeah. Is. it is. It is. It is it fucking is. awesome. If there's like a Bond short film, like that's it. That's it. <laughs> I didn't realize until we, I'm jumping ahead, yeah. but whatever, like rewatching it. I had so much like excitement and love around that pre-credit scene. Yeah. I was just so excited. It closely mirrors the single player game too, that part. <laughs> oh, really? Because the, the end of the first level is the bungee jump. And so there's so much nostalgia packed into that for me. Mm. The bungee jump or the jump after the, the plane? Uh, so the bungee jump is three levels, I think. So there's the bungee jump. To get in there. Is the end of the first level. Then you get in there and then you go through the vent and you mm. shoot the guy in the toilet. Yeah. Like, so that's how closely it Do you mirrored. say sorry for not knocking? Is that, no. you, you can say that if you choose to. Yeah, just to, like, to, just just to talk the TV. To the TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in the cinema, at, the, at that moment when Bond jumps off, you know, drives the motorbike, base jumps. That was cool. It was very cool. And then he's essentially catching up, falling into a plane. Physics probably suggests that wouldn't happen, but that's cool. Yeah. 
gets in the plane and then like corrects the pilotless plane yeah to so fly cool. off to safety and just as he sort of corrected and like you know that tense moment that's a moment, good like yeah, face that's a good yeah does that a lot Noise. The crashing good? plane noise, it's a good noise. Yeah. And then he gets it up just as he sort of <laughs> Alright, Michael Winslow, take it easy. <laughs> uh so just as that happened and it was sort of all quiet, someone in the cinema just goes, Yeah, Jimmy <laughs> And then everyone just erupted. Like, yeah <laughs> That's amazing. I already loved that part. Now that's even yeah. better. Yeah, but yeah, this guy, the whole cinema erupted and it was just like, he's back. I like to think that this guy's just a legend. Yeah, no, good on him. He just, I mean, he had to be half pissed. <laughs> yeah. You gotta be, right? <laughs> so I've got a very specific memory of that. As I say, it was six years out from Bond and there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, chat that there wasn't going to, the Bond was dead. The Bond was never going to come back. So I think uh, this film sort of brought it back and everyone was pretty stoked. Yeah, big time. Should I get into that? Yeah, man. When the world is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over Savanaya. And the threat is real. GoldenEye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find GoldenEye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the message? No pithy comeback? He was your friend. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. Is the satellite in range? Target is London. Now, the entire world is about to be caught in the crossfire. See you in hell, James. You first. Kill him. The pleasure will be all mine. Would you check her out? Head to toe. Three clicks, arms the fuse. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Grow up, 007. I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. You know, James, I was always better. Both of you, stop it. You're like boys with toys. The trick is to quit while you're still ahead. I wouldn't think of it. Charming, sophisticated secret agent. Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> Get us out of here. Bond, only Bond. The man just won't take a hint. Gun. That depends on your definition of safe sex. On November 17th, Robin! United Artists brings you, trust me, James Bond. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? Now that's one trick I've never learned. So the first Bond movie not to be based on an Ian Fleming book. Mm-hmm. Six-year hiatus, the longest gap between any Bond film. Like you said, Gregory, the world was wondering if we needed Bond anymore. The wall was down. 
the world had moved on. We're in a world of Arnie's. We're in a world of diehards. We're in a world of lethal weapons. Like, what's the relevance of uh, a James Bond film? So the interesting thing is there was a plan to have an immediate follow-up to License to Kill with Timothy Dalton, but it kind of hit the brakes. There was a lot of legal issues with MGM and whatever else. I read a little bit about it. It's too boring to go into. It's pretty complex. It's pretty complex and it sounds really boring. Just legal shit, basically. Net-net. Yeah, net-net. There was a 17th Bond. I'm not totally clear if that was Goldeneye at this point that was written for Timothy Dalton. They had a big poster up at Cannes that year on the on the on the Carlton Hotel. Pre-production had started in 1990, but then got stuck in development hell. Not that interesting to get into that. Ultimately, by 1992, it got back into development, but Dalton was already out by that point. So take two, Bond 17 is back. Uh-huh. Screenplay written by Michael France. This guy wrote uh, The Hulk, Fantastic Four, Spotty Record, but Saving Grace. He wrote Cliffhanger, a must-do film for this very podcast. Cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah it's got to happen. Very familiar. Yeah. Uh, so Timothy Dalton was actually in talks to come back, but he basically in the Bond world, you can't just come back for one movie. It's like, are you in for a few or are you out or Ooh. what? Ultimately, that faded away. There were quite a few rewrites that happened off the back of the original screenplay too. And funnily enough, the pre-credits scene was something added by one of the rewriters, Jeffrey Kane. That was basically his thing that he added was the was the pre-credits. Jeffrey Kane, we salute you. We salute you because to me, that was the highlight of the whole movie. And I didn't even have a guy cheering in there. But that was... It was the best part of the movie. It's so good. Way. Make him Get him to write another one and write the whole fucking thing. Um, two more guys then came in and rewrote even further. But then they didn't have a Bond yet, right? Oh. So Dalton's out. Who do you think they looked at? So you don't know this. A lot um, of these are pretty intuitive. Some of them are a bit wild card. Mel Gibson? Yep. Yeah. Mel Gibson was one. Another one which was a, would have been a huge mistake, Hugh Grant. Ooh. One that would have been interesting that kind of came around anyway later on in his later life, Liam Neeson. Yeah. But then apparently there was a guy, Paul McGann. He was... Um, he was one of the Doctor Who's, I think, but he was the front I runner. No I mean, that would have been game changing for him because it's one of those guys. Because I've never fucking heard of him. <laughs> heard of him. That's like the <laughs> other guy that could have played Wolverine, but did Mission Impossible Two instead. Oh, Poor bastard. Who's that? What? Exactly. Who is that? But is that actually a thing? It is a thing. He was supposed to play Wolverine, and Mission Impossible Two is famously the worst one. Who is he? Uh, I Can can't we, remember. Let's find him. Dougary Scott. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't even remember his name. Oh, he was a candidate to replace Pierce Brosnan. Oh, who are you talking about now? Right. Are you talking about Wolverine or? No, the same guy, Dougary Scott, he was going to play Wolverine, but Mission Impossible 2 went over schedule. And yeah, he was yeah, injured. yeah. Yeah. He was forced to drop out and replaced by Hugh Jackman. In 2002, release of Down in the Valley, he was a candidate to replace Pierce Brosnan. Whoa, did we just come full circle? Yeah, we did. We just had a real magic. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Your left field example. Of people missing out on roles. The tangent just became an actual circle. 360-odd degrees. (laughs) So, we're at the point of casting Pierce Brosnan. What is very interesting about this was Pierce Brosnan was actually in line to take the Bond throne after Roger Moore. So, there would have been no Timothy Dalton. He was ready. He signed on. He was ready. His stunt double already started shooting. And he had to do Remington Steel, the TV show. He did. Which is really weird because he would have been 33 playing James Bond, which is the youngest, I guess, any Bond would have been. 
I was supposed to do Bond in 1986. Right, right. And this is the network that screwed you about this. This is the, the Peacock. <laughs> no, 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 but no. Now, you were doing Remington Steel, but it was, it was canceled, right? I was doing Remington, thank yeah. you. It was a great show. It was in its fourth season, and they put a line through it. They canceled it. I got offered James Bond. I said yes to the part. And, but in the contract, there was a 60-day clause in which NBC, or MTM, who owned the show, they right. had 60 days in which to resell it back. And in those 60 days, I went ahead with all the negotiations, the wardrobe fittings, my stunt double had started, the pre-title sequence in Gibraltar. <laughs> and then, you know, the negotiations went on over those 60 days, and it was getting down to the wire. Kirby said, look, you can have them for six episodes, but no more than six. And they said, well, think about it. On the 60th day, they came back, and they said, we'd like the option of 22. Kirby said, no way. And that was it. And then you were out. Oh, I man. was out. It was gone. It was on a Thursday evening. We were renting a house down in Malibu. And it was 6.30 in the evening. My agent phoned up and said, it's not going to happen. Well, how many... Did you actually do the Remington Steels after that? I did the six. And then they canceled the show. Oh, man. That's that, painful, that's man. That's hectic. That's so painful. But maybe a bullet dodged because those movies were shit. But then the rest of them, other than Goldeneye, were shit too. So it's... Yeah. His legacy just came later. It would have been weird to have Bond be 33 years old, though. Maybe they will next. Ooh. <laughs> Cillian Murphy's back in the picture. Did you know that? I read that today. It's yeah. front runner now. Yeah. I thought that was a bit of a wild card. What do you reckon? He's I... 42, but he looks like he's like 18. He needs to put on some weight if he's going to do it. Yeah. Well, Bond he is looks a... too gaunt. Bond is pretty, in his purest form, he's very slim. No, he looks gaunt, though. He looks like a skeleton. He looks like, like in Peaky Blinders, he's basically a like a... Are you Starving. jealous of his cheekbones? No, Bond in Bond's... Uh, so Ian Fleming's dimensions of Bond were that he was like six, one and a half and weighed like 160 or 170 pounds. Oh, he's trim. So he's like six foot two and 70 odd, 72 kilos. I'm six foot two and I'm 90. Yeah, that's more normal. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's lean. That's what I mean. He's actually Bond... Ian Fleming's Bond... He's quite lanky. He's a, he's, a, he's a very slender man. There you go. There you go. But that doesn't mean shit because if you look at, obviously, Daniel Craig, he's jacked, so it doesn't matter. But just thought <laughs> that, was, that was a chance for me to impart a bit of Bond knowledge on y'all. That was cool. I didn't, I didn't even know that at all. Where were we? We were talking about this fella, Pierce Brosnan, getting involved in the picture. Another big casting choice at the time, which was revolutionary, was Dame Judi Dench coming yeah, in as yeah. M, which that was, was historically a male. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I wasn't even quite sure that this was her first Bond movie, really. Yeah. This was also like her big exposure to the rest of the world. Like in the UK, she was a big stage actor and she'd done what a lot of things. What was that TV show she was in? The little... You, I had to look it up. It was in my house every... Every day because yeah. our mums are the same, I've learned. <laughs> So she's quite a boss in this. This was her big world debut, really, getting on the world stage. She went on to win Oscars and shit. She won for Shakespeare in Love. She's obviously a big deal. Dame Judi Dench, everyone loves her and she's a boss. Spoiler alert, she's my MVP, just quietly. Um, another OG in this picture, the OG Q, mm-hmm. Desmond Lewin. So he did 17 Bond movies. Yeah. And that's more than this. He missed a couple. because No, he missed one because there was no Q in it earlier. But he, he, to me, it's like when we talked about Batman, like with Alfred, like he's my guy. Oh, he's next There's level. None of, John Cleese actually was not bad, but now they've got this young kid. That's not Q, man. No, I, 
That ain't I, struggle, cute. I struggle with that. I struggle with that big I time. I thought John Cleese was a good. John Cleese um, was good. Yeah, stick with that. Stick with John Cleese. What happened there? Do we know? I don't know. Why are you going to get a kid in there? And the gadgets aren't even gadgets now. It's just like, here's your iPhone, bro. You know, it's like, <laughs> blow shit up. You can text and call, and this will also track your steps. Oh. You can order pizza to wherever you are in the world. <laughs> That's pretty good. Okay, so Brosnan's in. Dench is in. Guess who they approached to direct initially? Uh, Scorsese. John Woo. Ah. Like, we need more sparks. Get John Woo. Everything sparks in John Woo movies. Anyway, he said no, apparently. It seems like that would have been a match made in heaven. should have guessed that was peak John Woo. Era, yeah, yeah, it? exactly. <laughs> if I'd thought about that. Again, coming back, John Woo did Mission Impossible 2. Wow. Wow. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 has done nothing for no one. But guess who signs on to direct? Um... I can't remember who's on. And Mr. Martin Campbell. <laughs> oh, <Martin. laughs> oh, Cambo. He's a Kiwi. Uh-huh. But he's also the director of Casino Royale. Ah, yes, yes, I did. So that's this. kind of huge. So he's responsible for keeping Bond alive in this one. And then basically the celebrated Casino Royale, which is top five, maybe even top three. Everyone loves that. It's the same guy. Like, it's fascinating. respect, man. He didn't do the sequels. He only did Golden Age. Fascinating. And Casino Royale. So he brought... So this is interesting because... Well, for many reasons. But the reason I'm thinking of is that he brought back Golden Eye. And Golden Eye was great. Yeah. But it was very templated Bond. It didn't... I respectfully disagree, but we'll get into okay, that. Okay, we can get into that. So... Well, I don't know Bond enough to really the, disagree that much, but okay. I think there's some things about it that are good. Oh no, that, no, it's great, but it's yeah. it's it's very typical Bond. So they didn't. It wasn't much. There wasn't anything new in there. Whereas you look right. at Casino Royale, and that was a real gear shift. Yeah. Well, that was my one thing too. I was like, this guy's suits—they just look like a dad going to work. Like they they weren't they weren't they're not like. He doesn't wear a suit like Daniel Craig wears a suit. Ah, oh, yeah. I mean, this is a quick side note, but. I didn't realize how much I probably rate the new Bond era. I had the exact opposite. Yeah, really? Yeah, I really did. Yeah. Interesting. This is good. This we is need to good. disagree on some things. Yeah. Tension. 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 Constraint. <laughs> Constraint. <laughs> um, Martin Campbell is a Kiwi guy. You, you would think we have heard of this guy. He's a Kiwi. He's nearby. He's across the pond. Uh-huh. He did Casino Royale. Yeah. The biggest... The, like, that was massive... Yeah, I, I, it seems like such an untold story. The fact that he rebooted this thing basically before reboots were a thing, from um, the last six years ago Bond of Timothy Dalton into this, which was there are some changes, but I see your point, Greg. It's not quite as a step changes as Casino Royale, but he also did that, so it's kind of really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah. Like maybe, maybe he wanted to make more of a step change. I believe that. I reckon that so probably that's, happened. That's what I was going to see if you had. Oh, any that's a good point that. because I think the producer at that point was the same guy this whole time. You're going to think this is a fake name, but it's something broccoli, broccoli, <laughs> or broccoli. <laughs> Albert I don't broccoli. Know. I'm assuming it's Kemp pronounced broccoli. Why? Yeah, man, but it's broccoli. It's spelt broccoli. Man, he's like the second most influential human in the Bond franchise after Ian Fleming. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and produced he, them since day dot. I think he passed away after this movie or something. Just, Maybe this was the last of his era. 
And then maybe they lost direction with the next few sequels, but then found their footing again with a fresh new start. Because his daughter was involved, I think. I think Mrs. Still Broccoli. Are, are they? Maybe. They did, yeah, the son as well, I think. Like yeah. The, both the kids. It's a family business. The, yeah. But yeah. Mr. Broccoli was, I guess that's was the, the continuity. Is it broccoli or broccoli? It's got to be broccoli. I think it's broccoli. Are you committed to broccoli? Yes, it's spelled broccoli. How? What do you mean? Broccoli. It's not a name. Is it? Okay. I don't know. It sounds. It shouldn't be. (laughs) Broccoli sounds more like a name. Hey, Broccoli. Spicoli? Hey, Spicoli. Yeah, that's a different name though. (laughs) Not all names have to rhyme, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be good if they did. It would be so easy to rap. Oh, man. How good would life be? All names rhymed. Okay. Are we done with Broccoli? My loose understanding is that he basically wanted to turn the Fleming character into movies. Right. So he's, he was he's the guy. He's the guy. And he very much did that. But he, yeah, he was, I think his name's attached to every Bond movie up until GoldenEye. And then as a tribute, they, or no, even now, I think they still do an Albert Broccoli film before Bond movies. Yeah, I've never something. noticed that. Yeah, he's, as I say. He's literally the most influential force after Fleming in Bond. All right, a couple more ingredients. Mm-hmm. Touched on it before. Q, Desmond Lewin, a Bond OG. He did 17 Bond films total. Mm-hmm. Live and yeah. Let Die was his last one, which was the one after this, I think. Um, not Live and Let Die. Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, no. Li- oh, no. I read my notes wrong. Live and Let Die was the one he wasn't in. That was the only one he wasn't Interesting. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Live and Let Die. They were off in the jungle. So Live and Let Die, side note, when I first saw that and they played the song over the top, Live and Let Die by the Beatles, I thought, what is this terrible rendition of Guns N' Roses' Live and Let Die? Because I didn't realise Guns N' Roses had done the cover and I was watching a movie that had the original. I had that with Bowie and Nirvana with A Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. I remember. That is, sorry, that's all I had on that. So Q has only done that, only missed that one. So Q only missed Live and Let Die, but he's the one point of continuity in the whole franchise at this yeah. point. So he didn't make much cash from this. He got paid for the day or whatever. Really? Yeah. But he's such a fan favorite that he was in lots of ads and stuff. I've read that he was in the ad for the GoldenEye game, but I couldn't find that. So there was a, there's actually a scene in Tomorrow Never Dies. There's a, you know, he has his little, Bond has his scenes with Q in the lab. Yeah. <clears throat> there is a, there's quite a moment. And they have like this little exchange, like they kind of know it's their last time together. And then Q presses a button and he basically descends. Oh, and everyone is like, Like, maybe he was already going to stop at that point. He was, because I remember at this point thinking, is Q going to be around for the next one? Like, But this is the weird part. You know how he died? Yeah. A car accident. It, was, it wasn't even... Yeah. He, yeah. he died in a car accident. And he had a head I, on or something. And it sounds like it wasn't even necessarily his fault because the other guy went to court and stuff. Like yeah, it wasn't other, just like some old guy driving issue. He was a young guy like uh, running, running off the road or something. Yeah. Yeah. It stuck with me. It was a sad one. Obviously such a legend and icon. Mm. Well, that was basically the background of the movie. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it's pretty hard to talk about this movie without talking about the games. Should I do a little, a quick mini version of how the game came about? Yeah. I might just fill our listeners' ears with a little bit of nostalgia, just with some of the sounds of the game. (laughs) 
that man, that was such a big deal for me. All those sounds, you play it so much, and there's only a finite amount of them that they all just like trigger like a Pavlov's dog thing. But <laughs> this game was 1994. It started pre-production, so this mo- the movie came out. The movie was being made at that point, but this took longer than the movie to make, I guess, because the game didn't come out until 1997. It was made by yeah, Rare. Getting that, well, they were getting those sound effects right. Yeah. Ugh, ugh, no, it needs more. Ugh, ugh. And uh, it was made by Rare. So these are the guys that made Donkey Kong Country on SNES, which was a big deal. The Nintendo 64 didn't exist yet. It was still in development and they were working with dev kits and whatever. And so they were they were making a few versions of this. So there was, there was one version that was going to be more virtual cop style. So on rails and you Ooh. just kind of point and shoot. Um, there was one cool idea that I never heard of, which was, remember the Nintendo 64 had the rumble pack thing? Right? Yeah. In the vibrator, you had to yeah. put it in. There was one idea they were toying with, which was that would be how you reload the gun. Like, they decided that was maybe too much. Mm-hmm. To your point, the most you played was multiplayer. The The multiplayer was added relatively last minute. It was in the last six months, they decided, let's do multiplayer. Game changer. Yeah, and that became so massive. So it's really cool. They did go to the set and all that kind of shit for inspiration. That's pretty cool. Came out in 1997. Expectations were low. Uh, it took 2.5 years, two and a half years in development, $2 million budget, 11 people in the development team. Like, that sounds so small, right? Well, like, you know how, I just you know how many people, Red Dead. how many people in the credits for that? It, the, the credits are 25 minutes long. Yeah. So, it's games these days, bigger teams than making a fucking movie. This is 11 people in the development team. 11 people. Most of them hadn't made a game before, but sold 2.1 million copies, which, um, Basically, a more successful launch than Zelda: Ocarina of Time, which was the which was the jam of was the sixty four original was, Zelda. Not the original, but that was the game changing one. Uh, but overall, it sold eight million units. So the third best selling game on the Nintendo sixty four after um, Mario and Mario Kart, and ultimately grossed two hundred fifty million worldwide. So not far off the movie itself. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy. And I think we take That's for like granted ten Billy Madisons. It's ten Billy Madisons. <laughs> the game is awesome. And yes, it's dated, but there's some shit in there that I didn't even realize were first. So the whole stealthy angle to it, like the idea that using a silencer is more beneficial than using a loud gun because they'll hear you. Like these are these were new things at the time. AI, bro. AI, bro. There was some AI. There was some serious AI. There was uh, context-sensitive wounds. So if I shoot in the, in the arm, you do this. Like that was new. There was um, zoomable sniper rifles. Like all oh, this shit was new, Ooh. man. Headshots being a thing. Having missions, not just getting to the end, but doing something along the way. These were all like pretty new things. If not the first, they were they were pushing it further and they pioneering it into first. new ground. Yeah, they were second first. Second first. They did a remake in 2010. I don't know what happened to that. I never played it. Um, but someone, so some fan is working on a remake of it for 2022, which will be the 25-year anniversary, where they're um, making it in Unreal Engine 4, which is like advanced graphics, what? basically. Fans do this sometimes where they'll take the latest graphics capability and like build an old game into it. I don't know how they possibly do this, but someone's doing that for for Goldeneye. It's going to come out in a couple of years. That'll be fun. AI, bro. But yeah, so that's that's the movie. That's the game. Yeah. But should we get into the plot? Thank you for it that. It took a while to get us there, but should we get Thank into a little, deep dive little play by play? Into the game, which I was always so stoned playing that I never really <laughs> considered much about it. Right, so like all good Bonds, we start with a pre-credit scene. 
Bond has a uh, this sort of like a, a silent entrance of Bond running across the top of a dam. So you got these beautiful visuals. Yeah. He looks like he's somewhere pretty remote. Yeah. He's dressed in this black combat gear. He's there for business. Pretty uh, uh, pretty blatant stunt double. Oh, man. Don't get me started <laughs> on the stunt doubles. There's a few we need to discuss along the way. So he basically bonds his way into this place. There's some bungee jumping. <clears throat> Teams up with 006 in there, who's played by Ned Stark. They're basically, he's 006, he's 007. They're going to blow up this plant. You know, that's their mission. Before they do, the security gets there. There's a bit of a standoff and the security kills 006. They shoot him in the head. Ruthless. Mm. Like executing, execution style. Bond, it was ruthless. Yeah. And that's a iconic scene in the game too. Yeah. This was one of those nostalgic scenes for me because that was really like... Emotional with those CGI graphics. Pretty iconic. Mm. It's not emotional, it's iconic. So, so he dead. Bond has that amazing exit that we talked about earlier. And then we cut into a beautiful Bond song sung by none other than Tina Turner. It's a good track. Oh, it's not bad. You know that was written by Bono and The Edge. You know also Ace of Bass wrote a song for this movie. And they decided to pull it. They were, they were advised it would be bad for their career. Ace of Base. Ace of Base. But what was their career in 95 anyway? When was all that she wants out? That's I guess earlier. it was before there. It must be before then. On a day like this, it's a sad day. Apparently they repackaged it and released it as a non-Bond song, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, okay. So Bond has an awesome dramatic escape. We listened to Tina Turner for a bit. Then we cut to 007 driving... Who I thought was Money Penny, but it turns out it wasn't Money Penny. I had the same thing. <laughs> what an asshole! Who? So, because I thought it was Money Penny, I thought it was Money. So Penny. I thought it's like, okay, this is a coworker. He has no relationship with her other than work. So if he's okay, he's yes, their their car dancing or whatever the fuck they're doing. But at least it's not his girlfriend. But no, it, he's dating her or something. He just bangs her. That's what Bond. Does. But she just seems like a sweet lady. She was, but she, she's like, who's that? It's like the next girl. Yeah. yeah, but that's Bond. It is Bond. We'll get into more of that, I'm sure. Um, you're sex driving. Yeah, sex driving, basically. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing? It In this, be. yeah. I've never sex driven. <laughs> I've barely driven. <laughs> I'm barely, I got my license four years ago. Uh, anywho, so he has this little um, sex drive off with Famke Jansen, who is introduced to us. And then he goes, and then they're, I think they're, are they Monte Carlo at this point? I assume they are. It's pretty Monte Carlo. Yeah, yeah, they were, yeah. And then he meets her across the craps table or, no, blackjack table or whatever. She's Xenia on the top. So they exchange pleasantries. Pleasantries? Um, he introduces himself as Bond, James Bond. And then she, anyway, she ended up leaving with this admiral of some ship, goes to bang him on the ship. He's actually been in another Bond movie, that guy. So they're doubling really? up on the extras. Yeah, he's in huh. Never Say Never Again. Anyway, she sex strangles him. This chick's all about the sex. She's sex driving. She's sex strangling. So this, they're in a missionary position, a classic man on a top, classic missionary, and she crushes him with her, with her firepower. So, and then on this, on this ship where this guy was the uh, admiral or whatever is this Tiger Moth helicopter thing. Mm. And she she steals the helicopter. Yeah, flies it out to some remote Russian. It's like a base. graveyard of statues. It's a base. Oh, that one. Man, you just like. skipped like an hour. Into the <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> dude, you skipped an hour into the movie. An hour, not even the next scenes. 
So they then you're introduced to the sort of Bond love, and they're at this Russian base that sends off codes for missiles and shit. And they fly there, they blow the place up, still one of the programmers, the Bond chick programmer survives. Anyway, they want to essentially these Russians, including on a top, want to reactivate GoldenEye, which were these um, missiles or these satellite missile things that yeah. the Russians had in the Cold War that have been demilitarized or whatever. Right. That's their intention. Yeah. So then Bond's job is to get out there and get on the top of it. <laughs> At that point, I was asking, I feel like Hollywood's got a whole lot better at recognizing native tongues in their movies. Yeah. Like if a scene is set yeah. in remote Siberia and there's a couple of Russians talking, yeah. they're not speaking Ameri- uh, English. Yeah. There's this, there's no, there's, is there any subtitles? I think That's a good point. Why would they be speaking English? Oh, come on. Like yeah, I feel, yeah, you're right. Cause some, I, didn't, I actually didn't even think of that. Because exactly neither of them are Russian. That guy's not Russian, is he? Boris? Don't no, it's so. Alan Cumming. Exactly. English or Irish or something. Something. He was and great it, in this. I'm invincible. Yeah, that was, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's great. Cringy. Uh, and then she's, the chick's Swedish. She's not even Russian. You couldn't right. get a hot Russian chick to play a hot Russian chick. Get out of here. Come what on. kind of casting director? They're just like boys with toys. Boys with toys. So where are we? So yeah, then they, Bond basically goes after trying to find these guys. Catches on a top. And then he gets her to take him to meet the bad guy. Like, who is this guy that's organizing all this? Right. That's the cemetery. Oh, path, yeah. That's cemetery. a cool. It's a cool scene. That's such a cool scene. Like, it what a, a cool great scene. set. It's a great set. It was good. And yeah. uh, and it gets a bit layered at that point because out of the shadows walks our Bond villain. And it's none other than 006 mm. from the beginning. Yeah. So... Yeah, then he basically reveals himself, said, oh, I was a Cossack, which is a group. He essentially is a, was a Russian, well, he's Russian, so Russian oh, parents. Right. So he, uh, yeah, he basically traded on MI6 in England and was there to make some bombs and fuck shit up. Mm. Come a And his plan was to blow up the, that's right, he was going to use it to do something and rob the Fed Bank of Britain, basically. Clean, right. out, clean out the books at. Of England. Hmm. Anyway, then he, Bond gets knocked out with a laser dart. Then he's put in a helicopter. He gets woken up. And they cleverly tied him and the Bond girl, Natalia. Natalia. Into this Apache helicopter. Yeah. And then shot the miss. The, there's a timer on to shoot the missiles out. Yeah. And they're going to come back. Like yeah, in, on themselves. But it's one of those classic tropes that they do in yeah, in exactly. Austin Powers, where it's like, I'm just gonna leave this to you guys now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, aren't you gonna watch him die? Or he's nah. right there. I could get a gun. I can just yeah. shoot him. <laughs> got any sharks with laser beams attached to their head, Scott? We've got a uh, only. We could only get sea bass. Are they ill-tempered? <laughs> so, spoiler alert: Bond escapes. Oh. Hitting the big eject button that was right in front of him. I so I went back and forth on that one. I was like, oh, that's a convenient place for an eject button. And then I was like, well, it should be convenient, shouldn't it? It should be. Do it is know, a eject button. But do you know when you don't want to use an eject button in a helicopter? <laughs> Pretty much any time it's not on the ground. It's, a, it's one of the oldest jokes. What's a... An Irishman invention. An Irish invention. It's like windscreen. Windscreen wipers on a submarine. Submarine. Air conditioning it's, on a motorbike. Eject a seat on a fucking helicopter. helicopter. That's true. That is one of those ones. And Pierce is Irish, so... Oh. Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, 
So they escape. He goes after them. He chases, he drives a tank around St. Petersburg for a bit of cinematic value. I got to be honest, I started to drift off at this point. Yeah, I bet you did. Because I... Because it's fucking pretty boring at this point. It kind of is, yeah. It's disappointing because I, up until this point, I thought it was great. I was really enjoying it and I thought this holds up. It is still one of my favorite Bonds. And then it did kind of just drift away into vanilla land. Yeah. There is this weird little deluge here. Yeah. Question. Yeah. Why was Minnie Driver in it? Yes, stand by your man. <laughs> what? Is that a cameo or is that a role? I mean, is that a cameo or is that an extra? Yeah, like was she famous then? I didn't get a chance to look that up. Oh, it must be a cameo. I don't know. It's weird. It's not a, it's not, she's not famous she's enough. She's not Stan Lee. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's Minnie Driver. Yeah, it was confusing. But I would say at the, in the same scene, Robbie Coltrane is... Hagrid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. enjoy He's that? Good. Yeah, he's great. That. He's so good. He's so good. He's so when I see Hagrid or him in another role, he's that guy to me. Ah, so I see him as Cracker. Did you ever? Watch oh Cracker? yeah, yeah, Cracker. Yeah, again, our mums are the same. And uh, that was um. <laughs> and do you know who else? I we never watched it. I just remember seeing the ads for Cracker. For Cracker, but it, that was a lovely cameo. I thought, but it was just a bit yeah. bizarre that Minnie was in the background saying "Stand by your man." I just had Minnie. Mini driver question, question mark. mark? Yeah. Question mark? It's a bit surreal, isn't it? Oh, and immediately, immediately below it, I had Harry Bond. <laughs> well, I just is thought... a drink? I did think it was interesting. There's a, there's a shirtless place. scene and I was like, oh, he is surprisingly hairy. So we're still in that era of Bond where it's just kind of carpet, <laughs> like almost Austin Powers-esque. Yeah. Like it was co- almost comical of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. We went from 100 to zero, didn't we? Yeah, we really did. Because superheroes don't even have hair anymore. Yeah. Like no one's got hair on movies, on their chest. Let's bring it back. I, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. Look at all this face stubble and no one's got hair on their chest. It's crazy. Like it was confronting to see that. Hey, like in Roadhouse when you saw Sam Elliott's crutch. <laughs> I don't know where the chest hair finished that his pubis began. <laughs> it did not. <laughs> oh, b- below that though, Greg, I had a good, he has a good judo chop. He'll get in the car and he's like, I know. judo chop. <laughs> this is what I mean. This is what I mean. But I like that. So I think that's maybe where we've got different thoughts. I like that it still has the old school charm with some new school sensibilities. This is, this is my sweet spot, I reckon. Is it? Yeah, I think this is my sweet spot. That's a big call. It's probably more nostalgia than anything else. I'm not saying I'm right. It's just for me, it works. Well, I'll wrap out the plot and say that Bond saves the day and ends up with the Bond what? girl. What? That in mind, we can talk about what's aged well. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, we talked about the game, but I do think we should bring it up here again as they are inextricably linked. And this game is constantly listed as, you know, one of the most important games in gaming history, one of the greatest games ever. And GoldenEye is part of that. So on that level, it's got some cultural relevance. A bit like how Wayne's World's got Bohemian Rhapsody, this has the GoldenEye game. Like that's kind of the thing that keeps it kind of present. Like compared to the other Brosnan movies, right? Uh-huh. Like you, no one no one ever talks about them. This one has a special place in everyone's heart forever. Yeah, when you rank it out of his ones. When you rank his... it out of a lot of them, like or even the Dalton ones, like compared to what it yeah. came from, it's suddenly a huge spike. Add to that the fact that we all interacted with a version of this movie for hours and hours and hours. He's also a lot of people's favourite Bond. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a strong enough opinion to say he's my favourite Bond, but mm. he's what I go... Favorite? No, uh, I mean, him or Connery, I guess, but that's more just purely aesthetic. Like, I don't really have as huge... I just think they look cool 
as a Bond type. Oh, have you seen? Because you know the Aussie guy. What's his name? George Lazenby. Yeah. Did you watch that documentary about him playing George Bond? George Lazenby. <laughs> what happened? That was my Marge. <laughs> does, it, does she ever say that? Yeah. Oh, okay. At some point, there's something, and she goes, "George Lazenby." They're like James Bond's gonna be there, and she goes, "Fuck." <laughs> That's a really weird one too that I, I was reading up on because I watched the documentary about him and how he became Bond and everything that happened after. It's worth watching. It's a doco I've heard. I think it's like Becoming Bond or something like that. No, it's a good documentary. It's good. And I think the world has come around where people kind of like him again. And in Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was his movie. George Lazenby? (laughs) It's rated quite high now. So it's actually not as shit as everyone kind of initially said. But that's that's more of a side note. I have a quick side note. Yeah, give me one. favorite Bonds. So mine is Roger Moore. Really? Um, yeah, I think a lot of it is to do with just the era that I mm. probably was at peak Bond. And 60s movies probably were a little bit... I still love them, but they were a little bit further away than yeah. in terms of appeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Dalton's the worst then, right? Yeah, I just did that. Even after Lazenby. Uh, yeah, apparently. But what was interesting to learn was Ian Fleming's original choice for Bond. Guess who? Roger Moore. Oh, okay. So Roger Moore was actually... 78 pounds or whatever it was. Yes, he's <laughs> um, Ian Fleming, the writer, the yep. creator of the character, mm. conceptually. Yeah. His first choice was Roger Moore, but old Broccoli boy... Broccoli. Broccoli. So, yeah, basically he, he was like, yeah, nah, not feeling it. And then um, and they used Sean Connery. Huh. Fact. So that's happened twice in the Bond era. The old switchy, flaky. Does that mean Hugh Jackman will be the next Bond? Because Hugh Jackman was in the running before it was Daniel Craig. And so this happened twice. So if Roger Moore was in the running, but then they got Sean Connery, and following Roger Moore was going to be Pierce Brosnan, but then they got Timothy Dalton. It has to be. And if going before Daniel Craig was Hugh Jackman, then Wolverine 12 (laughs) will be Timothy Dalton. That's oh, interesting. Wow. Can we? But that is that? that is interesting. That is interesting. Should we put our, all our ad revenue on that as an outside bet? I'm betting my house on it. Cool. What else have we got? In all right. Terms so of... in terms of how it's aged, I think we would be remiss on International Women's Day to be talking about Bond and not talk about, you know, sexism, misogynism in films in a, in a franchise like this one. Uh-huh. Why don't we start with what Pierce Brosnan says about this particular film? So it's a time to really try and kind of peel back certain layers of his character and see what lies beneath this man, see what kind of maybe demons might be there in this, in this character. There are, yes, there are, there are a few ladies there, yes. Um, but yes, there are going to be um, babes there, I guess, bond beauties. There is a love interest. I get that this movie, you watch it, it still feels quite outdated. There's still a lot of sexism in there. But I think that's an interesting first taste in terms of, it's a bond for the 90s. I think the best example of this is M's little spiel to Bond. Do you remember this scene? Would you care for a drink? Thank you. Your predecessor kept some cognac in the top. I prefer bourbon. Ice? Yes. You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant, a bean counter, more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. 
because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. Not quite, 007. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I've no compunction about sending you to your death, but I won't do it on a whim, even with your cavalier attitude towards life. So I think that's interesting. I don't think, I'm not saying this movie nailed it. I'm not saying this is like the perfect feminist representation of Bond, but I think it's a really interesting first step by first casting Judy Dench in that role, but then that whole spiel is fucking great. It's great. And it's interesting, you start to see the subtleties in like his vulnerability. Is he trained that way to be kind of a sleaze and a... Is that part of being a spy? You've got to be able to bed these people. And so it's a bit of like a Red Sparrow-y thing where he's had to whore himself out. You know, it's like, oh, I never thought of it that way and maybe it's not nice. And I, Yeah, I didn't pick up on these vulnerabilities. That I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably maybe overanalyzing a little bit, but I'm... Uh, you're not alone. I'm just thinking that compared to previous where it's not even considered that mm. this is a negative thing. James Bond has always been a misogynist. This is the first time we're calling him out on it. I just think it's really interesting that we don't give this film a lot of credit for doing that, which I think is, first of all, a nice first step. I think we overcredit the new Bond films for doing it, and they actually do it much less. Okay. Yeah. Actually, there's another scene in this as well with Natasha at the beach, you know, and she's like, this is why you're alone or whatever. It's the first time we're seeing this. Right. For contrast, let's take a look at some of the highlights of the other Bond movies. Now, this is a clip I have to give credit to Fun with Guru for putting this together because it's pretty special supercut. But man, it makes you realize, again, the movies that came before this and one film that came after this that is much more problematic than 95 Bond. Felix! <laughs> Felix, how are you? Dink, meet Felix Leiter. Hello. Felix, say hello to Dink. Hi, Dink. Dink, say goodbye to Felix. Uh, man talk. I think you're wonderful, B.B., but I don't think your Uncle Ari would approve. Him? He thinks I'm still a virgin. Yes, well, you get your clothes on, and I'll buy you an ice cream. Yeah. Now let's both play. Bond. Not from where I'm standing. Since you're here, would you mind giving me something to put on? Is there something I can do for you? Yes, a matter of fact, there is. There is something I'd like you to get off your chest. They're controlling you. They're not protecting you. Tattoo on your wrist. Is Macau's sex trade. You belong to one of the houses. What were you, 12? What I think is interesting about that is there's no Brosnan films in that supercut. And in fact, there's actually a Daniel Craig in there. And I would say that this age is better than Skyfall for that reason. You don't get it through that um, audio from that video, but basically there's a scene in Skyfall where he meets a woman who he acknowledges is from the sex trade, he acknowledges has been abused by men, and then he proceeds to 
enter her shower unexpectedly and then make booze on her uninvited, let's say. My point is, I think that's more dangerous than a misogynistic bond in GoldenEye because these films portray this sense of self-seriousness. So seeing that is more harmful than seeing Pierce Brosnan be a sleaze. I think the difference is in this one, he gets called out for being a misogynist, which I think is good. I, don't, I still don't think this film nails it. You know what I mean? I think GoldenEye is probably more progressive than we give it credit for. And I think the newer Bonds are probably less progressive than we give them credit for. Yeah. Do you know, can you explain to me, I never understood that scene in uh, Casino Royale when he puts her in the shower after the hectic event. Oh, yeah. And then he sucks her fingers. Like, uh, Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. What does that do? I is that know. like an anti-shock treatment? Or I is it know. anti-sexual? Because either way, it. it didn't come across well in, in the film. Yeah. Stuck him right in there. Right in. <laughs> He was um, basically deep throating her hand. <laughs> I just didn't know if that was a thing. Well, I found a I, I found a a good article when Danny Boyle was still attached to Bond Twenty Five. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's that Kerry Fukunawa guy now, which is kind of quietly exciting. That could be cool. Is that he made this big statement about how he's not going to be misogynistic with the new Bond, and his explanation of that was that. Uh, we're not going to put them in skimpy outfits. But the issue with that is misogynism is not about skimpy outfits. It's about a lack of agency in the female characters. So so if it's just about skimpy outfits, that actually removes agency. Mm. So I think there's a world potentially where you can still have Bond be a misogynist, but give those characters agency. And that's maybe a way to, I don't know. Again, we're a couple of dudes. <laughs> But I think it's interesting. These are all interesting topics to think about. We're not solving anything here. I we're just not? think it's we're just kind of trying to spitball ways to make it work, I guess, in the modern era. Kerry Fukunaga, he's a bit of a dish. Have you seen this? He's dude? so cool. He's very good looking. He's so cool. Why is he on that side of the camera? Well, he's he the looks um, like a, he's uh, a true detec- the first true detective guy. Is he? Yeah he he did the he directed the first season of True Detective. Why does he look like that? Yeah. He looks like a Eurasian Clark Kent, and he did the first. That first season of True Detective is is all time shit. That's yeah, and the second season stuff. was shit. I think the new one's supposed to be. The okay. New one's got Mister Mister Hollywood, Mister Academy Award winning Mister Ali. He is um, good. Yeah, look, that's there's there's definitely some interesting chat there. I went off on some tangents. I understand. No, that. I but dig it. But I, it is a, it's an interesting challenge. But that is it's a classic. Like, how do we keep this legendary character relevant when his roots are kind of dated. Yeah, it's a there's a lot in there in this one. I ah, think. We're not going to solve it here. Yeah, but I think it's an interesting challenge. And Kerry Fukunawa is a really interesting dude. So he's maybe a really handsome guy. He's very handsome. <laughs> um, make him Bond. Man, what is this guy? Who is he married to? He's a stunner. <laughs> he's a stud. Um, who's your MVP? Uh, who's my MVP in this film? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, M is a Dame, Dame Judy Dench is a standout as always. Yeah, she's probably MVP. Am I missing? She's my MVP. She's there. I love it. She's fantastic. Uh, oh, I actually really like Famke Jansen as well. Yeah, yeah. I thought she was really good in it. She was like a like what a Bond villain chick yeah. should yeah. be. 
Yeah, she was like, bang on. on she was top. really sexual. She was like energetic, violent. Sean Bean was pretty good too. Sean Bean was we good. We got to see Sean Bean die again. She seems to happen in most. He always dies. Most roles. Yeah, Sean Bean was good in it. Yeah, as I say, I think for me, Brosnan in this one sits a little bit too close to that center axis where he's not. You know, right. you've got you've got Connery out in the classic sort of. So series. he's just in middle ground for you. He's just you know, and you know, we work not in, interesting. We work in marketing. You, yeah, you don't want to be in the center of the axis where you're not middle ground on something. I think by the last one he looked too old. But I liked him like that. I like him. He I thought frail. he was I wouldn't believe him. Yeah. Oh, I quite like I think he I think for well, me. Well imagine if he was thirty three then. <laughs> like imagine if he did get it instead of Timothy Dalton. That would be so weird. I thought he was quite rigid in the in this one. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought he got better. And have you seen Thomas Crown Affair? Because that's where no. I Yeah, that's a great movie. You should watch that. Yeah. It's a remake obviously. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great movie. Anyway. All right. I digress. So one of the big things for me, the the car, the Z3. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. That was the ugliest Bond car of all time. Oh, it? my God. Yeah. That was the first uh, it was the first movie with the BMW deal, I think, it right? Was, it was the first BMW. It was, yeah, and they obviously paid a lot for it because it was the first, the Z3 was the first modern era mass market roadster that BMW right. had made as well. And it only looked good in convertible with the roof down, right? And then, oh, in that pale blue, it's such a specific yeah. color. Yeah. Um, oh. Ugly car. It also, funnily enough, was the first Bond mobile um, that wasn't trashed in field. So they always he always uh, crashes them, and yeah. there must have been a thing from a thing. BMW that you yeah. can't crash it. Huh. I assume I it was the first Amiga as well. I think was and, it, and now it's been Amiga ever since. Yeah, I think, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, I think it was. All right, is that the film? I think that's. Do we the miss film. anything? Well, you let us know if we miss yeah. anything. If we miss something, if you have thoughts, if you disagree, hit us up. Uh, Double Impact Podcast at gmail dot com. Instagram, Double Impact Podcast. Somewhere in the cloud. <laughs> what are we covering next? We got. So in the next couple of weeks, I believe we're looking at Cruel Intentions. That's in the pipeline. Maybe some Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. We've got a few other bits and pieces. Yeah, a few other bits and pieces flying through. If you've got suggestions, again, hit us up. Yeah, definitely fire us through. love to hear from you. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Send through, yeah, send through your requests. We'll get to them shortly. There's a short list of about 150 movies at the moment. There is, 150 to 280. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get through them. Yeah. Keep listening. Keep reviewing and liking. Yes. Subscribe. Review.